All right, you guys ready to dig into God's word? First Thessalonians chapter four. Who was here last Wednesday? Yeah, so last Wednesday we we talked about uh, Paul and his letter, his little section here of love, a love letter to to, to the church that he had uh, God used to to him to birth, and he had to leave in a hurry, and he was worried about them, and so he just expressed such a great heart of love and devotion and care for that church. And so we talked last week about how he's a great model for us, that we should have genuine love for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ and, and how we should pray for one, how we should pray for one another. He even, he even prayed there towards the end of chapter three. There's this prayer that he prays and it's just such a beautiful picture of the type of love that we have for each other or should have for each other in the body of Christ. And so such a great section. It was kind of, um, I don't know. It seemed like Paul in the beginning of his letters and in the end of his letters, he has that type of language that's built in there. So it's kind of seemed out of place in comparison to some of his other writings is kind of right there in the middle this next section though he he kind of kicks it up a notch we're going to deal with some really big issues here it's a really great section so let's pray before we dig into god's word god we just thank you for tonight god i thank you for the privilege we have of gathering together in your name and lord i just ask that you would help us lord help me uh, help us to be able to hear your word and uh, to receive it with a sincere heart and a willingness to apply it God, I just thank you for your truth, Lord. It is your truth that changes us and helps us to become more like you. Lord, we surrender to you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So you guys already know what I'm about to say, but we're just going to talk about it for a couple moments here. But it is extremely difficult in our culture as believers to be encouraged towards Christ-likeness. There's not very much going on besides the church and relationships you have with brothers and sisters in Christ that will encourage you to be like Jesus. You guys with me? I mean, all around our culture, anywhere you look, whether it's in the media, TV, on your job, your workplace, in schools, college campuses, it is, it is difficult to keep a Christ-like mind when you're living in the world today because we, we are so, we can become so inundated with anti-Christ thoughts anti-biblical thoughts, things in our world and our culture that push us away from God, push us away from Christ. I, I think uh, on, on the 16th, when we were doing the parable about the persistent widow and the unrighteous judge, one of my first points was that this evil culture wants, it's seeking to squeeze out our faith and get us to have no faith and no belief in God and no trust in God, wants to, wants to squeeze out our faith and get us to a place of prayerlessness to where we don't Go before God because we're just numb by our culture. We've been made numb. And so it is difficult to pursue Christ likeness and Christ likeness, pursuing Christ, becoming like him is the theme of this section of these eight verses. And so I just want to tell you that I'm here with you. It is it is hard work. It is takes diligent work to press against the lies of the culture, the messages that are out there to stand against those and to and to take God's word and make it number one and supreme in your thinking and in your heart and have it impact the way that you live. It takes diligence and effort and work on our heart. And, and, and I, know, I, I know that you're there with me. Um, so let, let, let's read this section, the first eight verses. And there's just kind of three main thoughts that, that, that I have um, in these 
eight verses here that really point us towards what does it look like to become more like Christ. So let, let's read the first eight verses. It says, finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. That's an interesting little way that he said that. He said, you're doing good. He said, I've taught you, you've received these words, you've been doing pretty good, but I'm encouraging you to increase more and more in walking after God and pleasing God. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. Wow. (laughs) That's pretty strong. The Avengers. You ever seen that movie, The Avengers? You know God is is one of the Avengers? We'll come back to that. The Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, this command, this this encouragement he's given you, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. It's a really strong language there. And I just want to say from, from the outset, this is written to the church. This is written to Christians. And within there, he talked about brothers. He said, let, that, that, he said that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. And so he's speaking and writing to Christians. You know, sometimes people can believe that Christians don't sin and don't struggle with sin. But if you're in here and you're breathing, you know you struggle with sin. And so this is, this is what he is addressing. He's addressing this issue of becoming like Christ. He's saying, you've heard our words. You've heard the message. They're from the Lord Jesus He's using, he's saying these are words from Christ to to amp up the importance of what he's trying to say here. You've heard these things and you're doing good. You're growing, but I want to encourage you to grow more and more, to continue to pursue holiness and righteousness and, and living to please God. And so this is, this is the heart of the encouragement. And so as I was thinking, like, how can I encourage this? What what are some things that we see in this text that will in, that will kind of paint a picture for us and help us to grow? Uh, in Christ, to be more like Christ. So the, the, the first thing I see is this. If we're going to become Christ-like in this crazy culture, Christ-like maturity, number one, must be our aim. Christ-like maturity is our aim. It must be what we go after. So I just want to look up those first two verses here. Christ-like maturity is our aim. It says here, finally then, brothers, we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk, And to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. So he's encouraging them. That should be your aim. It should be the aim of every genuine believer to become like Christ. If, if, if there's somebody who is saying they're a believer, saying they're a Christian, and they don't have the desire to be like Christ, then their salvation may not be genuine. You know, it is a, it is a natural reaction. You know, I've seen many people, and Pastor Name Vicky can tell you throughout the years, that when somebody comes in and, and they're, they're not a believer and they come in and they get saved by the power of, of the gospel, one of the first things that happens is a strong desire in their heart to be like God, to be like Christ. All of a sudden, the things that, that used to not bother them, the music they used to listen to, the people they used to hang out with, the, 
the, the, the movies they used to watch, the things they used to do, how they used to talk. Those things used to not bother them. But all of a sudden, because the Holy Spirit has come and indwelt them, now there's a conviction. There's this desire. And that is normal. And that's good. You're supposed to feel that way. So if you're struggling in, in your life and you're thinking, man, I, I just have been feeling bad about how I've been living. You know, there's some people that will come and tell you, well, you don't need to worry about that. That's the enemy trying to make you feel guilty about what you're doing. You know, if you're living in sin and you're feeling convicted, that's the Holy Spirit. That is good. You know, there's this false grace type of messages out there that's saying you just don't even acknowledge sin. Don't even worry about it. It's really no big deal. You are, you're already forgiven, past, present, and future. Don't even acknowledge it. That's, that's not true. That's a false gospel. When you become a Christian, one of the evidences of your salvation is that you are convicted of sin. That's a, that's a good, it's a good thing. You wrestle and you struggle against sin because you are a believer, because you follow after him. And this is, this is what he's saying here. He's saying, just as you've received from us, how you ought to walk in to please God. He's saying, I want you to do it more and more. This is the progressive pattern of your life. I I wrote this thought here. The Christian life at its core is the pursuit of knowing Christ and becoming like him for the purpose of bringing glory to his name. So here to summarize, what's the core of of the Christian life? It's to become like Christ. It's to know him. To know him, to be like him, to think like him, to be conformed into the image of the son. That's the core of the, of the Christian life. You know, there's these ideas that, that are out there. Maybe some of you have heard the idea of once saved, always saved. You know, it's kind of this idea that once you become a Christian, you get saved and you kind of like fire insurance. You get saved and then you can just live however you want to live. It's kind of like kind of that false grace message. It has another little angle to it. That's not true. You know, a genuine believer will pursue righteousness. A genuine believer is going to want to please the Lord. It is their aim. Christ-like maturity is the aim of a genuine follower of Christ. They don't, they, they don't like to live in sin. You know, like me and, when me and my wife argue, I can't, it's like I can't dwell in, I can't dwell in that. I can't dwell in that disunity. It, it, it bothers me. There's no peace. It's like that with our walk with Christ. When there's this break, there's this brokenness of fellowship because of sin that you're living in. As a believer, it should bother you, and it does bother you. And that's, that's, that's totally opposite of this idea that, hey, once I'm saved, I don't have to make Jesus my Lord. I can just kind of live how I want to live. That is, that is not true. A genuine believer desires to pursue Christ. Paul talked about this in 2 Corinthians 5, 9. He says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. We make it our aim to please him. Ephesians 4, this is a very uh, a famous section of scripture here. Now, right before this in Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul talks about how he's given gifts to the church. He's saying he's given gifts, apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers for the perfecting of the saints. And so God uses the fivefold ministry gifts. He uses the pastors and the teachers and he uses the body of Christ to teach God's word so that Christians can become mature. And, and, and it picks up here until we all attain, the verses 13 through 15, till we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. To mature manhood. That's the goal. That's our aim. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to, say it with me, grow up. Sometimes you want to tell somebody, just grow up, <laughs> right? You want to tell your kids, oh, just grow up. But you know what? They're, they're like children tossed to and fro. They're kind of crazy and chaotic, right? And you want them to grow up. You know, we can be like that as adult Christians, kind of a little crazy, tossed to and fro by our lust, by our passion, sometimes by false teaching that, that, that we might hear, tossed to and fro. What the goal is, is that we are to grow up in every way into Christ, into him who is the head, into Christ. Christ-like maturity is our aim. That's the goal of Christianity. And Paul is reminding them. Now, just some context here. This is a new church. And you remember back in the book of Acts, like we mentioned this last week, this church was birthed in, in, in chaos. You know, back in, I think it's Acts, it's Acts 17, uh, uh, you know, Paul and Silas preached the gospel. The church was birthed. And then they go to Jason's house. And then these Jews who are upset because of what the gospel is doing and having impact, they, they come and, and they tell Jason and his household, basically, you get, these guys need to get out of Dodge. They need to get out of here. They are, they are causing trouble and difficulty. And so persecution starts to come into this church. And so we said last week that Paul, and Paul had to get out of, out of the town in the middle of the night. It says that, that the brothers sent them out and he ended up going to Athens. And so this is a very young church. They're young in the faith. And that's why Paul was writing to them. And as we read last week, he is longing to see, how are you doing? How are you growing? What is your aim? Just as I told you beforehand, I preached the gospel to you. I told you what it meant to be a Christian, what it meant to follow Christ. And you're doing good because Timothy had come. That's what we learned last week. He came and brought, brought word back to Paul that they were doing good. They were maturing. And he was reminding them, listen, you need to continue to grow more and more, aiming to please God. So that's the first thing that I saw for all of us, for the rest of your life, for the rest of your life, until, until you go to be with Christ, whenever the Lord calls you home, this should be your aim. You know, just because you get older doesn't mean that you don't act like Christ. I mean, I don't want to call out any of the older people here tonight, you know, but man, you're not exempt from it. I, I was talking with my, with my grandpa this afternoon. He was pretty honorary and rude to me. <laughs> I'm like, you should know better. You're 83 years old. But you need Jesus at, 80, at 83. You need Jesus at 33, right? It's your lifelong goal. Your lifelong aim is to become like Christ. Christ-like maturity is our aim. So that's my first thought. Second thought, it kind of stems from this. If Christ-like maturity is our aim, then we must make the will of God our priority. That's my second thought. If Christ-like maturity is our aim... God's will must be our priority. So let's go back to the text. First um, Thessalonians three, four, three. It says this: For this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is the will of God. So Christ-like maturity is our aim. And so, if it is our aim, we must know God's will. So, what is God's will? What well, says right here? For this is the will of God, your sanctification. We'll come back to that word there. But what is the Lord's will? Let's let's just throw out, you know, there's lots of things we can say is God's will. Just throw out some things to me. What what do you think the Lord's will is? I'm not talking about specifically in, in your life, like take that job, marry that person, buy that car, 
just general principles from God's word, what do you think the Lord's will is for, for us as Christians? Salvation. Prayer. Anybody else? You love one another. Study God's word. Bring glory. Fellowship with the Lord. Surrender to him. Anybody else? Peace. Be thankful. Preach the gospel. Absolutely. Preach the gospel. Man, you guys almost got on my list. I mean, we could, we could make this whole list of things that we know are God's will from God's word. You know, some people struggle. I don't know God's will. I don't know God's will. I think if we spend time obeying what we know is revealed in God's word as his will, we'll end up following the unrevealed will of God pretty easily. Right? If you just check those things off the box, you're just, this is what you just said. Get saved. Start praying. <laughs> preach the gospel. You know, seek to love one another. You start doing those things. The, 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 the details that we sometimes get confused over can become a whole lot easier. I hate to talk about my wife again, but she's just so amazing. Remember when we were dating, um, I, I was, yeah, you can clap her. That's good. That's good, Brother Chuck. I remember when we were dating, um, and I wasn't sure, you know, I was praying, Lord, is this your will for me to marry her? I just don't know. And, you know, you don't want to, you have this idea that I'm going to make a mistake, marry the wrong person, and then my whole life's going to be messed up. And, that, that, you know, you, you want to marry the right person. And it is very important. You want to take it seriously. But I was overthinking it. And if you know my wife, you know I was overthinking it. And so my mom, my, my mom one day sat me down and she said, Ben, let me ask you some questions. First of all, are you attracted to her? Yeah, I think she's beautiful. Does she love the Lord? Yeah, she loves the Lord more than me, I think. Um, does she want to serve the Lord? You know, you feel called into ministry. Do you think she has a ministry call? And I said, yeah, she goes on mission trips all over the world. She loves ministry. And she said, well, what are you waiting on? <laughs> like, what's, what's the big deal here? And so I, I just, it's just kind of like some, we, we overcomplicate it, you know? So this is my list of what the Lord's will is. Salvation. I think Chuck's out my list. Be, be, be spirit-filled. We know we're called to be filled with God's spirit. Prayer. We're called to prayer. We're called to thank to thankfulness, to sub, submission. None of you said this one, but this is the Lord's will. We don't like it, but suffering. Oh, Lord, help us. Man, sometimes God can call us to suffer. We don't, you know, the prosperity gospel will tell you something different. That, hey, any suffering in your life is of the devil. You know, God, God uses suffering. God will allow suffering in your life to refine you. Sometimes, sometimes we can get to a place in a Christian life where we can become stubborn in some areas. And God says, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll let you learn a lesson in a way that you maybe not want to learn it. So sometimes, look, you look at the early church. You, you think the early church suffered for the gospel? Every one of the apostles, except John, were martyred for their faith. Unity in the body of Christ. That is the Lord's will. And we could go on and on with, with, with what we know is God's will. But the Apostle Paul does something here. He, he, he narrows the focus. He says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. And so the word sanctification simply means that we are to be set apart unto God. That word sanctify means to set apart. And so sanctification is the daily 
process that we go through as believers being set apart unto the Lord in holiness, in righteousness, pursuing godliness as Christ's likeness is our aim. It is the daily setting apart of ourselves unto God. And we grow in Christ-likeness. We grow in holiness. This is sanctification. This is the will of God. So if you don't know anything about God's will and you're confused, this is the, if you leave tonight knowing this is the will of God for your life, that you would be set apart unto him to be like Christ, and you have left learning some incredible truth. You, God's desire is that you would look like Christ, that you would grow and become like him. But, not, but the Apostle Paul didn't stop there. He gives this general picture. Christ-likeness is our aim. Christ-likeness is our goal. But then he narrows it even more. And he says this. He gets a little pointed. Do you like it when preachers get pointed? <laughs> Start stepping on some toes? The Apostle Paul's like any good preacher. He's going to step on our toes here. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Verse 4 and 5. Specifically, that you abstain from sexual immorality. This is in the church here. You think, wait a minute, this, this, that's for the world. The church is not sinning sexually. <laughs> that's, that, is, that would be great to believe, right? That the church doesn't sin sexually. You know, Christians can sin sexually. And they do it all the time. And you know, in this culture, the apostle Paul is preaching to, was just as almost pervasive with sexual sin as it is our culture. And this is why he is saying this to them. That look, you need to abstain from sexual immorality. This is one of the greatest areas of sanctification he's pointing out here. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles. That word Gentiles is using to describe those who don't know God. Not like the Gentiles who do not know God. And so sexual immorality should not even be named among us. He goes on to even emphasize further. In some of his writings in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, 3 through 10. It says, but sexual immorality, again, speaking to the church, not to the world. Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking, which are out of place for a believer. But instead, let, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with the world in sexual sin. For at one time you were darkness. At one time, at one time you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. This is why he's saying it's not normal for a believer to walk in sexual sin. Why? Because you used to be like that. That used to be what you would do. You, do. you had no sensitivity in your heart towards sexual sin. What is sexual sin? Right? But now you're a believer. You're sensitive towards it. Your heart has been changed. You once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So because of that, walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Our culture worships at the altar of sexual freedom. Our culture worships at the altar of freedom, complete freedom in this area of sexuality. Worships at that altar. And as believers, it is increasingly difficult, specifically in this area of sexual purity, 
for us, men and women, to stand strong, to resist temptation. You can't flip through television. You can't look at magazines, the Internet, Facebook, Instagram, everywhere. You can't, you can't go to the mall as a man without being inundated with women that dress completely like they should not dress in public. You know, I was listening to this video of this pastor, and he was talking about how our American culture, I guess you, would just, you could broaden it to the world, we are a pornographic culture. And he says, now, when you think of that word pornography, you think of extreme. He said, but when you think of it like this, a scale of one to ten, one being purity, ten being really explicit, very bad. He said, our culture right now is at a five. And that's normal. And he said, we have been, as a culture, if we're not careful, and as Christians, if we're not careful, we've become numb to something, to things that are impure, that are not right. So then whenever we see something that's at that six or that seven level, that we would, that we would never know, that we would not normally say that was okay to look at or be around or be exposed to, we're okay because we have been made numb by our culture, what we have seen and been exposed to in movies and television and the way we dress. I was watching this movie around, I don't forget when it was, two, three months ago. It was cheaper by the dozen, but not the new one, the older one, the one that was from the 40s or 50s. You guys ever seen that one? And so the, there's a scene where they, they go to the beach and... The girl is not wanting to wear the swimming suit that dad wants her to wear because it's not modern and trendy and hip. And so they show the modern and trendy hip girls and their swimsuit covers like the majority, like down below their knees is their swimsuit. And those are the, because they're showing ankles, they're the, they're the trendy girls. But the, but the swimsuit that the dad, if you read, doesn't want her daughter to wear, her 18-year-old daughter, like it was like a... Um, it was like a onesie. <laughs> it was not, you could, I don't think you could swim in it. But that, that illustrates my point, is that look at that. Even, even what was edgy back in the 40s and 50s, considered edgy in that movie, was not edgy at all. It, it, would, be like, it would be completely outdated. And com- it was completely covered. And I, just, I told Estelle after watching that movie, I said, man, to go back to those days, to go back to the time whenever a girl, a woman would go to the beach and, and not look like she's in her underwear. So it is difficult. It is difficult to stay sexually pure, to push against this. And, and I believe the Apostle Paul, he hits on this not only in this letter, in, in, in Ephesians, in Corinthians, in several of the churches he's writing letters to because it is an issue within the church because we're, what, what's our aim? Christ-likeness and sanctification to become more like Christ. And we are living just like they were living in, in the middle of a Roman culture that worshipped sex goddesses We are living in the midst of a culture that worships sex goddesses. It's the same type of culture. And and there's something about sexual sin. It's a sin against your own body. And it's a sin against somebody else. And it brings destruction to marriages and to families and to children. Steve Gallagher says in his book, At the Altar of Sexual Idolatry, he says this, It is clear that that, that America has adopted at wide scale, a wide-scale tolerance for immorality. Our collective conscience has become desensitized and seared. The live-and-let-live mentality has evolved, replacing our traditional Judeo-Christian moral values. And it's true. And I recommend this book, Steve Gallagher's book, At the Altar of Sexual 
idolatry. If you're struggling in that area, this is a great book by Steve, by Steve Gallagher. You know, Scripture is not unclear on the issue of what the standards are on the subject of human sexuality. Where the confusion comes in, and this is not Steve Gallagher, this is my quote, Scripture is not unclear on the subject of human sexuality. Where the confusion comes in is when we allow the cultural views about sexuality to try and transform the solid rock of God's word into Plato. That's where the confusion comes in. And there's no wiggle room. Marriage is to be between one man and one woman. And sexual relations are reserved for marriage alone. If you're not married, full abstinence until marriage. That's the standard. That's the biblical standard. But we are tempted to change the biblical standard in all areas of sexuality because, cult, because of cultural views. We try to make God's word like Plato, mold it and shape it however we want to. So how do we stay? How can we win the victory over sexual temptation? How can we win the victory? Tell me some thoughts. What do you think? Stay in the word. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Miss Penny said staying accountable, hiding God's word in our heart. Any other thoughts? Anybody? Running. You're running. Well, absolutely. Like Joseph ran. Run. Get out. Let her take your cloak. Just go. Okay, well, I'll, I'll give you my list since y'all not jumping out at me. Y'all already picked up three of them. But here's some thoughts here. Stay connected to the truth of God's word. Look, sanctification in every area. We're called to be like Christ, right? In, in every area of our life. But specifically in this area of sexual purity, you have to stay connected to God's word. How are we transformed in our thinking against cultural views that try to squeeze out God's word from us? It's by taking God's word in, by reading it. By memorizing it, by hearing messages taught, by going to life groups, hanging around other Christians who are going to encourage you in God's word. It's like it's like you are surrounding yourself with God's word in every area of your life. You are hemming yourself in. You are trapping yourself with God's word to where whenever you start to go in a direction that doesn't please God, it's like the Holy Spirit has a reservoir of truth that he can tap into and bring up into your mind at any moment. But if you're lax about God's word, you're not connected to it. You've got to work overtime to remind you of the truth because you, you don't know the truth. So you've got to stay connected to God's word. Rely on the Holy Spirit in prayer. So many times we can get so overwhelmed in temptation, we forget the Holy Spirit is he's the paraclete. He's the helper. He has, he's been sent by God to come alongside us to give us strength. So I, I encourage you in your times of prayer, cry out to the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, I need your strength today to guard my thoughts, to guard my eyes, to guard what I watch, guard who I hang out with. Holy Spirit, I I need your help. Develop accountability. Listen, if you don't have accountability in your life in this area, you make it more difficult for yourself to walk in purity. You have to be accountable. You have to be accountable. You know, there's ways that 
You know, you can be accountable on your devices, on your computer, on your iPad, on your phone. There's ways you can be accountable with individuals in, in your life where they, you've opened the door for them to be able to ask you any question that, 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 that they need to ask you. Be accountable. Fourthly, disassociate with friends who are not influencing you towards godliness. This is so important. If we are going to be like Christ and be sanctified, and specifically in the area of sexual purity, you've got to stop hanging around and talking to people who will encourage you by their language, by their attitude, by the things they want you to listen to and watch. You have to disassociate with them because they're just going to drag you down. I mean, that, that principle is general. If you want to be a solid believer of Christ who pursues God and pleases him, your friends have to change. Fifthly, stay away from obvious places of temptation. This is like ding, ding, ding. Hello, Captain Obvious. This is, look, again, I'm going to talk about my wife again. When we were dating, this is a great example. If some of you are dating and you're not married, look, you got to stay away. I remember there was times where we were, I was at her house visiting and whenever her mom or dad would go to bed, I'm up. I'm out the door. I'm gone. Because I, I cannot be alone together with her with no accountability. You know, some people think, you know, you, 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 I've, we've counseled couples in pre-marriage counseling. Or I've counseled men that struggle with this with their girlfriend or their, their fiancé. And I ask them, well, where were you? Well, we were in our car. It was dark. We were by ourselves in a parking lot. I mean, well, what do you think's going to happen? You're a male and you're a, she's a female and, and you're not married. And, and, and this is a natural progression of your relationship. God designed those desires to be there. But he's wanting you to wait until marriage. But you're like making it difficult on yourself. So stay away from obvious places of temptation. And there's many obvious places of temptation, not just in your dating relationships, but the Internet and your phone and just... Stay away from the obvious places. Lastly, don't fight with temptation. Run from it, as Pastor Renee said. He stole my last point. You got to run. I think so many people, they fight with temptation. You know, you know, don't put up your dukes. The way you fight is by running. That's how you fight. You put up a fight by running for your life. You're running for your And actually, you are running for your life. You're running for your life. So that you can maintain this testimony of godliness and purity. So you can have impact for the kingdom of God. Run from temptation. Amen. Okay. First two thoughts. Christ-likeness is our aim. And if Christ-likeness is our aim, then, then God's will is our pursuit, is our priority. And God wants us to be pure in, in, in all areas of our life. And so I, I just want to encourage you. Lastly, on the second point, if you're struggling in the area of sexual sin, get help. Talk to somebody. We, we have plenty of, if you're, if, you're, if you're a man here and you're struggling, we have lots of godly men in here that have been through this and have won victory that would be willing to help you and talk to you. So if you're struggling, get help. If you're a woman that's struggling, find a godly woman in your life that can help you. Amen. So lastly, let's go back to First Thessalonians 4, 6 through 8. To come to our third emphasis here, that no one transgresses. And this is the same thought here. He's talking about sexual immorality and sin. That no one transgresses and wrong his brother in this matter. So, again, he's giving the context as in the body, like that would happen, that somebody would sin sexually against his brother or sister in Christ. And this is, when I read this, I, I said, wow. 
because this is why you should not do this, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. I put the Bible down. I highlighted it in pink right here. I was like, wow, when has that been preached in the body of Christ? Right. The Lord is an avenger. What does that mean that the Lord is an avenger? It means that one day the scales are going to be weighed. It means that one day justice will come. And so we should not deceive ourselves in believing that we can just get away with sin and that there's no consequences. Sin will cost you in your life. You know, I've talked to many people who believe that they can hide their sin. Be sure your sin will find you out. I mean, that's something that's something that we should all live with an understanding that our, we, we think we can hide it. We think we're fooling ourselves. We think we're deceiving ourselves. God knows. God sees. The Lord is an avenger. He will bring justice. The scales will be weighed. I just. Wow. Such a, a, a picture of God's justice and his sovereignty. As we told you beforehand. So he's told them this before. And we've warned you. Solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, you see, you can disregard this if you want, but you're not disregarding me. You're disregarding God. Whoever disregards this is not disregarding man, but God. These are God's standards. You know, you get all these preachers that go on TV and the radio and people will ask them questions. Well, what do you think about this area of sin? What do you think about this area? And they always give their opinion. And that's where they all go wrong. Because they're giving their opinion and they're not stating what God's word says. God's word says this area of sin is wrong. This lifestyle is wrong. You don't want my opinion. You want to know what God's word says. So when we disregard God's word, we're not disregarding man. We're disregarding God. And there's a solemn warning here. So I, I said, wow. So when I said, wow, I read it over and over. This was my, my third thought. Humble submission. Is our posture. Christ-like. Christ-likeness is our aim. We want to. We want to know God's will. And in view of all of that. In view of who God is. His holiness. His purity. His righteousness. Humble submission. Is our posture. So how do we. How do we respond? I kind of am. I'm reminded of. Isaiah in Isaiah six. I just want to read this. This is a great example of how we to respond when we see a picture of God's holiness and his justice. In the year that King Uzziah died, this is Isaiah speaking. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings with two. He covered his face and with two. He covered his feet and with two. He flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The fountains of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. so, So what was Isaiah's response? Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That's our response. That's our response. God, I humbly submit to you. I have seen you. I've seen your holiness. And I know what your desires for me are. You want me to be like you. You want me to abstain from things that 
would hinder my relationship with you and ruin my witness. So God, I, I, I know you're a God of justice. I know you, I, I know you're a holy God. So God, I humbly submit to you and I cry out for your mercy and I ask you for your grace and your help. God, I need your strength. I humbly submit to you. That, that's how we're going to grow in Christ with, is with that attitude, that, that attitude of humble submission. God, I, my life is yours. You are holy. You are good. You are true. You are righteous. You are just. And I submit to you. I humbly submit my heart to you, to your care. James chapter 4. I just want to read it. This is a long section here, but I, I, I just want to read this. It gives us a picture of what I'm talking about here. This is speaking within the church here. It says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? This is speaking within the church. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire, do not have, so you murder. You covet, cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit, over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So what are we to do? We're to humbly submit. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. That's our posture. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God in humble submission. He and he cleanse your hands, draw, draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So in this goal, this aim of Christ likeness, of sanctification, of becoming like Christ, the only way it's going to we are really going to be fruitful in that is having a position of seeing God for who he is and saying, God, I am humbly desperate for you. I have to have your help. I have to have your grace. I have to have your strength to be like you, to become like you, to resist temptation. I have to draw near to you. Humble submission before the Lord should be the posture of every believer who desires to be, to be conformed into the image of Christ. We humbly submit to the word of God to his will, and to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's, that's the encouragement of the, of the Apostle Paul. And that's our encouragement. That's my encouragement to, to, to you here tonight, that this is our aim. And because you're a believer, I know it's your aim. And the enemy doesn't want you to be like Christ. He, he wants to get you to, to, to follow after your, your fleshly passions that are waging war against your spirit man. But if you will resist the devil... If you will submit yourself to him, those of you who feel bound by certain areas of sin in your life, I'm telling you, if you will submit to God and you will resist the devil, you can walk in freedom. And God can use you to be a witness and a testimony of the saving power of God and the delivering power of God to set you free from the things that you have been bound in. Amen. So that's the word of God for us all tonight. Amen. God, we just come before you tonight. God, we, we, God, our heart is to humbly submit to you. God, our, our aim is Christ-likeness. We want to be like you. 
God, our, our desire, God, is to be like you in the way that we think, the way that we talk, the way that we live. God, that is our aim. Lord, our, our, our desire is to follow according to your will. Lord, we, we want to live according to your will. And God, specifically in this area of sexual purity, Lord, I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would help us, God, to, to, to walk pure in the midst of a perverse generation, in the midst of a generation that is following after the gods, false gods of this culture. Help us to stay pure. And God, help us to not lose sight of your holiness and of your purity. Let us humbly submit to you God, and to cling to your grace and your mercy, God, so that we can increasingly become more like you. God, I pray for those here tonight that are struggling in any area of sin. God, I pray that you'd help them. Help them to become accountable. Help them to reach out for help. God, encourage them, Lord, tonight that there is freedom at the cross. We thank you for all these truths. God, we submit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys are dismissed. I love you.